0: Hey there, Greybeardians. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Cybersecurity Greybeard, the podcast that helps students, early professionals, and retrainees learn, grow, and advance in the cybersecurity profession. Make sure to email questions, comments, and episode recommendations to cybergraybeard at gmail.com. In this episode, which happens to be episode 10, season three, the season finale, I'm going to go ahead and talk about high-profile cyber attacks in the spring and summer, and now recently in the fall of 2021. I'm going to go ahead and talk about who was attacked, what the attack involved, the impact and aftermath of the attack, as well as how it affected the economy. I've talked here quite a bit, and I've also written in articles about the fact that cyber attacks are growing in frequency and severity. These examples just justify that position. We've seen advanced persistent threats or APTs come out and explain what they're doing and why. It's important to understand that these advanced persistent threats, they're criminals straight away, and in some cases, they're actually state-sponsored soldiers. Fancy Bear and Sandworm are right out of the Russian military. You can go ahead and read the book Sandworm, and it will talk all about that. You can do your own research and validate it. There's very little question that Fancy Bear and Sandworm are... Russian soldiers they attack with impunity and nobody is showing any remorse and even the criminals don't show guilt they actually say that they're doing a favor to society by these hacks they are sitting there and talking about the fact that they're trying to redistribute wealth some of these people are actually considering themselves hacktivists They sit and say, oh, we're not going to attack hospitals. We're not going to attack critical infrastructure. And then they go ahead and attack food producers and oil producers. They can say whatever they want. Their actions speak louder than their words. And it is important for us to understand in the cybersecurity profession that we are actually assisting our governments. And I know I have worldwide listeners. And it's important to realize the work we're doing is solidifying both private and public infrastructure simultaneously, and I'm sure some of you work or will work in the government. And we are out there defending against these criminals and these soldiers and militaries, and it's important to grow our skills so we can do that. When you hear what I talk about in a little while about these attacks, keep in mind that this could happen to anybody. These just happen to be the most recent ones, and I'll talk later as to why I believe that is. The fact that these are soldiers and criminals, it really has pushed the United States federal government to take a verbal stance. President Biden came out recently with Executive Order number 14208, and it's specifically about improving the nation's cybersecurity. President Biden also talked about 16 categories that are quote unquote off-limits to attack. These included critical infrastructure, again, healthcare, oil and gas food production, it's just a question now as to whether or not the attackers care or acknowledge that their targets fall under that red line of those 16 categories. We're still seeing the attacks. There's no public repercussions that we're seeing, certainly not that I'm seeing, and it looks as though the U.S. government is a paper tiger. They're going to talk and talk, and then they're going to ask private industry, private sector to defend themselves. The government is attacked, state governments, local governments, federal governments are attacked, it just doesn't seem to matter who it is, everybody's at risk, and the federal government can come out, but until they actually take stands and actions and show that they're going to do something, it's not going to matter. These attacks are going to just continue. Before these recent attacks, one of the biggest concerns that we had was losing PII, personally identifiable information, Equifax, the Office of Personnel Management, the target attack, those and many, many others are really about losing credit card numbers, my address, phone number, email. Sometimes passwords will be taken. We're worried about that information. Now it's serious. Now it's about public safety. We have to worry about food production that I'll talk about, oil and gas, manufacturing, healthcare. They're all taking substantial hits. Citizens are facing now financial impact and literally safety ramifications. There's a recent lawsuit that came about from a child that died, I think it was a newborn, at a hospital in 2019, and they're directly attributing the death to a ransomware attack because the nurses didn't have the access to the healthcare system, they couldn't get the information needed, and the baby died. Again, we're not talking anymore just about losing a credit card number, we're talking about life and death. These attacks keep coming, and without a major change, I believe we are in for a world of hurt. I believe we're going to start to see power outages, We may see or will see more oil and gas attacks. What about refineries? Haven't seen that happen yet. What happens if something happens to the operational technology or OT side of the house at a refinery? And some enemies do to the U.S. what the U.S. and Israel did to Iran with Stuxnet back in 2010. What happens if they start to do stuff with centrifuges in our nuclear reactors? What happens if there are attacks on oil refineries that are going to make pumps shoot out too high of a pressure and then you're going to get an explosion that could literally blow up a refinery? These are real. It is not science fiction. It is what we need to consider in our profession as cybersecurity professionals. One interesting thing about the articles that I read, they really were focusing more on the part about the impact of the attack and not the mechanism. And I'm totally fine with that. I like the technology part. I like to know exactly why the attacker got in, and I can usually track down some of that information. For the most part, these articles, which are coming from mainstream news organizations as well as cybersecurity and IT publications, really they're talking about what the impact was. It's as though there's more desire to see the impact on the human and the availability and the safety of our markets than knowing how the attack occurred. I think people are basically saying, doesn't matter how the attack occurred. There was lateral movement. There was weak passwords. There was a phishing attack. There was malware. It's usually the same thing. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty anymore with these articles. We want folks to understand the food supply is at risk. Oil and gas is at risk. We are at risk. All right, let's go ahead and start talking about these four high profile attacks. Each of them impacted day-to-day services for individuals around the world. With that said, the greatest impact was in the United States. I'll talk about one specifically that did have quite a large impact on Australia. And there was also a company in Brazil that had operations in Brazil as well as the U.S. Remember, this is global, although I do have an American focus because that's where I'm based. I do want folks to understand this is international in order. And it's not just Western civilization. These attacks affect India. They affect China. They affect Latin America. They affect Africa in certain instances. All right, let's go ahead and start talking about these. The first one is obviously going to be Colonial Pipeline. I think everybody's heard of that. If you haven't, you definitely need to know about it. The Colonial Pipeline attack, it shut down 45% of fuel in the East Coast of the United States. Many locations suffered hoarding as a result of the outage, and then price increases, and it turns out that the social impact on the economy was greater than the attack itself. It's as though it's a secondary explosion. If you want to look at it from a military perspective, if you're going to go ahead and bomb an area, and you hit a fuel refinery, and there are secondary explosions, or houses catch on fire, that's what happened with Colonial. It was bad enough that they had to shut down production for a couple of days, and they weren't able to get the oil across the country. This also affected people where they were hoarding and preventing other people from getting it, and then they ran out, not because of the attack, but because of how the society re- reacted to it. The impact was so great that the federal government actually waived certain regulations to ease fuel transportation in lieu of the attack. This attack was another ransomware attack. That's the end game. It's important to understand, oh, we had a ransomware attack. Well, How did they get in? What was the lateral movement? Was it a phishing attack that led to ransomware? I'm not going to get into too much of that in many of these. I just want folks to understand when you hear, oh, we were hit with ransomware, that's the end game. How did the ransomware get there? And how did the ransomware propagate? The attack was by Darkseid, was one of their last attacks, if not their last attack. Once they were done with Colonial, they went offline, and then many believe they came back as Black Matter. That's their new name, and I'll talk about that in a future attack. Bottom line, this Darkseid attack on Colonial Pipeline, was with ransomware in the end, but the way they got in was with an old VPN login, and then they used brute force and spray and pray attacks to propagate and get out and about. Basically what happened is that there was an old VPN account that Colonial never deactivated and some of these old credentials that were found in the RockYou 2021 text file, which contained 8.4 billion passwords, the VPN account from Colonial apparently was in that list and the spray and pray slash brute force attack on that VPN account is how they were able to get in and then they were able to put the ransomware down in a system and then it spread through the environment. It was so bad in the end that the Colonial Pipeline CEO agreed to pay a $5 million ransom. His reason behind that was that he didn't have any confidence that they had viable backups that would be restored. There's some debate going on right now, and I read an interesting article in Barron's Magazine that talked about insurance companies and whether or not the insurance companies are making matters worse and paying ransoms making matters worse. What's happening is a cycle. They get attacked, they pay the bill, then the people that are doing the attack say, look, we got money, let's do it again. The insurance companies say, hey, we'll pay for you, buy our product, then they pay it out, and now we have a cycle where you're always going to be rewarding the criminals. A straight-up question, should it be illegal to pay ransom? Should the federal government come out with legislation and actively say, you are not allowed to pay ransom, you need to improve your cybersecurity defenses, and if you don't and you're attacked, find another way around it, we will not allow ransom. That's just a food for thought. I'm not going to give an opinion on it one way or the other, just something to consider. That's the Colonial Pipeline attack. Let's move on now to the JBS food It's a meat producer. It actually happens to be the largest meat producer. Again, it's another ransomware attack. Again, ransomware is the end game. How are they getting into the environment is something that we need to consider in our profession. How do we prevent the ransomware from getting on there? Is it deactivating old accounts? Is it cycling passwords, etc.? That's for another conversation. Just keep in mind what I've talked about in other episodes when it comes to protecting your company, your government agency, your enterprise, or your firm. An interesting thing about JBS, they didn't say what the attack was. They really didn't say anything about it. And then the White House actually came out and said that it was a ransomware attack. I find it very strange that the federal government, the White House in this case, is giving inside security information rather than the private organization impacted. JBS was going to just say, hey, we have a computer glitch, there's a problem, and let it go. And then the White House came out and said, oh, yeah, they were attacked with ransomware. In the notes episode here, I'm going to go ahead and put in a lot of links. Go and look at this. This is not my opinions. These are facts. There are numerous articles on these attacks. Go and do some digging and find out more about it. With the JBS attack, it crippled their U.S. plants, and it delayed the U.S. Department of Agriculture from raising beef and pork wholesale prices in the agricultural market. Think about that. This impact did not just hit the company and their inability to work. The USDA had to change or affect wholesale pricing in ag markets. This is talking about the CBOE, the Chicago Board of Exchange, the Chicago Board of Trade. This is a big deal. Meat plants across the U.S. and Australia shut down for at least a day, and slaughter plants across Australia were not working. What that means is the food supply is taken out. They're not able to produce meat. And then it's going to drive up prices. You have a whole supply chain problem already, and now we have a situation where they can't be slaughtering animals in Australia for transport or consumption in Australia. JBS paid $11 million in ransom to, quote-unquote, keep its files safe. I have no idea what that means. If they had a backup, they'd be fine. If they didn't allow the ransomware in, they would be fine. This is another instance where they're paying the ransom and it's just propagating the whole cycle. These folks were actually attacked by R-Evil, which is a different Russian hacking conglomerate. I'm not familiar with R-Evil as much. I don't believe that they are a Russian state-sponsored organization, but I think they work out of Russia in a safe haven. And I'll talk a little bit about Russia at the very end of the episode and something very interesting that just came out in the last couple of days. I actually found out about it just while I was writing this episode, and I'll share that with you at the end. The third attack affected Crystal Valley Co-op. It's a Minnesota food vendor. They provide supplies to farmers, and they buy the crops from the farmers. Basically, they will sell feed to the cattle. They will sell fertilizer for the food. Then the crops will grow, and then these folks will buy back the food from the farmer. Again, another ransomware attack, again on a food supplier, again it it impacted Biden's red line and the attack still happened. Again, paper tiger. This was by Black Matter again, Russia-based. Again, as I said earlier, they are Darkseid's successor. They took credit for this attack. I don't believe it has been fully confirmed that black matter is dark side 2.0. In the end, it doesn't really matter. They are a ransomware for service or ransomware for hire. RAS, ransomware as a service provider, call it what you will. They are based in Russia and they're causing a lot of problems. In Crystal Valley, the co-op, they had personal data compromised. Their daily operations stopped. They could not mix fertilizer. They could not fill orders for livestock. They couldn't accept credit card payments. All in all, that there's a wider danger now that we see these threat actors impacting critical infrastructure as potentially lucrative and viable. They're seeing these co-ops, they're seeing the ONG, oil and gas, as being inferior at cybersecurity. They're attacking them, and they're doing a lot of damage. Another co-op that was hit in the same time frame was New Cooperative Inc. Again, it was hit by Black Matter. They were in Iowa versus the Minnesota co-op. In all likelihood, this was a a program that Black Matter had where they went out and they wanted to affect the food suppliers. This might have been some probing where they want to see how well defended these folks are. Typical attacks, military 101, probe your enemy, find out what they're doing, find out how they respond, find out how far you can go before there's a reaction. Well, they're getting in and they're shutting down food production. With the new co-op in Iowa, they lost access to their systems. There was a terabyte which, get this, I, I, I can't believe this, they lost a terabyte of data that included invoices, research and development documents, and the source code to their soil mapping technology. All of that data was encrypted and exfiltrated, and now they're being extorted. So restoring them from a backup is not going to do anything because the extortion is still out there. If you don't pay us, we're going to release your R&D documents and your soil mapping technology. It's incredible that this happens. These people, if you can't pay the ransom, what do you do? It goes back to my earlier comment about the federal government making it illegal to pay ransom. It's one thing having your systems offline. It's a completely other story to have your proprietary technology your proprietary information leaked and stolen it's just really unbelievable they actually threatened so new co-op threatened black matter that we're going to go to the government and you're going to be punished blah 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 black matter actually came out and said listen guys if you want to threaten us we're going to either increase the ransom or we're going to destroy the keys for decryption and you're not going to get anything back the criminals actually counted and started counter-arguing with their victims In line with this attack, a former CIA station chief based in Moscow, he said that not enough was being done in the way of deterrence. I've talked about that a little bit before. And what's hitting us now is that food producers are being affected, oil and gas is being affected, our government is saying things, they don't appear to be doing anything because attacks keep happening. We now have a former CIA station chief in Moscow saying not enough is being done. It's just getting out of hand. With the attack here at new co-op, the final point, they didn't state how the breach occurred. However, a lot of folks believe that it was phishing that played a key role. Then the malware got on the system. All in all, like I said earlier, with some of these attacks, they're not talking about how it happened. And with this co-op, I don't really think it matters either. When they lose a terabyte of data, including R&D and soil mapping technology, who cares? What matters to me is what the former CIA chief said. Not enough is being done. I agree with that. I'm going to move now into a survey that Arctic Wolf just published. It talked to over 1,400 IT decision makers. The results are quite incredible. I'm going to just give you seven or eight of them right now. 60% of organizations believe that spending on new security tools is the most effective way of stopping attacks. That goes counterintuitive to what I've said, and I think this is a part of the reason we have the problem. Organizations are spending too much money on technology and not enough money on people and processes. We must train staff. There is not a tool that you're going to put into place that is going to keep Susie, Sally, or Sam from clicking on that link. You have to train people. You have to put processes in place. It is not just about tools. The next finding was that only 15% of U.S. executives believe diplomacy is effective in stopping future attacks. Kudos to the other 85% who I am with. Obviously, diplomacy is not working. 41% believe China is the greatest threat, and 41% think Russia is the greatest offender. 32% of enterprises experienced a six-figure breach. A third of the companies that were in this survey had to pay out or offered to pay out over $100,000 because of a breach. And then 61% of the business owners admitted to concealing a breach. I agree with that totally. I think that it is out of hand. I think there are way more attacks that are succeeding than we're hearing about. People don't want to talk about it. They're going to just pay it under the table. They're going to move on. It's embarrassing. It affects your reputation. Organizations do not want to talk about it. The 61%, I wouldn't be surprised if it's low. 56% of C-suite executives will be willing to pay that $100,000 or more to resume operations. Amazing. If we keep paying, they're going to keep attacking. Something needs to be done. 60%, and this is the last one, 60% of executives believe their individual employees could not identify a cyber attack targeting their business in any working location. In other words, 60% believe that their employees wouldn't even know if they were under attack. I think that's a little interesting. I don't have a thought one way or the other. My view is most of these attacks are so far behind the scenes. People don't really see it unless they're doing it day to day, unless you're running a server and you see a weird glitch, maybe an increase in CPU or network traffic. What I find really interesting out of this has to do with the diplomacy, the comment about a third of enterprises experiencing the six-figure breach. It's just really, really incredible. I'm going to go ahead and conclude on a note related to Russia that I talked about earlier. I just read about this. I'll put the link again in the notes. Go ahead and take a look at it. You can go ahead and research it if you want. What happened is that Russia just arrested the chief executive officer of Group IB. This organization specializes in preventing Cybercrime and ransomware they didn't talk about what the charges were however some of the research that i did insiders think it may have to do with passing information to foreign governments i actually would guess that this individual was arrested by russia because he had information on Dark Side, Our Evil, Black Matter, potentially Fancy Bear, or the other Russian-based military groups. And they said, we don't want him giving any more information to foreign governments. Imagine if he was doing basically the opposite of what Snowden did, where he was taking information, giving it to the U.S., and the other five eyes, Canada, Australia, I think it's New Zealand and Great Britain. And he was giving information to them what he saw on Russian soil as the CEO of Group IB. And then he was arrested for treason they didn't say what he did but they arrested him for treason think about this you have a major threat or numerous threats coming out of russia and now you have a russian cybersecurity professional ceo arrested in russia for potentially sharing information with foreign governments to protect them from these attacks it's really quite incredible if you find this interesting check it out the company again is called group ib the ceo was just arrested That's it. That's all I have for this episode and for season 3. I hope you enjoyed it. I put out 10 original episodes and 2 specials so far. I am going to put out additional specials through the fall and winter as the opportunity arises. I can tell you this, that I will put something out around Halloween. It involves my speaking at the InfoSec Inspire Conference which will happen on the 18th and 19th. My speech is on the 19th and actually I'm going to be sitting on a two person round table if you will. A fireside chat Another thing I may do is Chad W. sent me a nice email and he asked me to do another episode on privacy, which I really enjoy. I wouldn't be surprised if I put something out like that in the spring or the new year just as a teaser for season four, which will come out probably next spring or summer. I'm not really sure. It's going to depend part on you, my friends. I need you to send me some ideas. Tell me what's going on in your lives. Tell me how work's going. Tell me what you want to hear. Cybersecurity Graybird will be back. Have a great day and thanks for listening.